Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count yourselves, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marcia. Boy, it's good to be back, be home, see many new faces, and see many, oh, I won't say old, I'll say faces I... I already know. Let's see if this will work. Um, yeah, big thank you. I said in the video, but I was going to say just in person, thank you for all the way you are praying and, and behind me for the ministry there. It's, uh, you guys are a real, real friendship and such a value to me. So thank you. Um, have you ever been in a, a museum recently uh, that had old, really old objects in it. I know here old is like things that go back to the Civil War era. I was in a museum recently that had really old artifacts of worship. They were like stone figurines. 
You know, this, when you go to a museum like that, it's interesting to look at those things for about 10 seconds, right? Okay, this is interesting. And then it's, okay, that's, you move on to something else. Uh, people worshipped, like, stone figurines at one point. Okay, cool. Well, I, I, I had this. I went to a museum. And then later, I was in a cathedral, a big cathedral in France. And I was looking around, and I was watching the other tourists walk through the cathedral. And I had this moment when I realized, as I watched these people walk through, and they're looking at the cross, and they're looking at Christian symbols, and I'm thinking of the tourists that come through Geneva and they visit Calvin's cathedral and they look at the pulpit and the Bible that's open and you can even see his chair. And I realized, you know, these tourists think the same way about these Christian objects as I thought about that stone figurine. Like, this is just sort of an interesting thing that is interesting for about 10 seconds. I wonder if you feel that way even now sometimes about the people in your life, that your neighbors, that their interest in what for you is foundational and central is just sort of a, a curiosity. So I've discovered, I've been in sort of French-speaking Europe, France, and Switzerland for the past three years, and I've been realizing more and more the gap between the biblical reality I love and treasure and what many other people in the society see is great. I don't know if you feel that way too. You know what? I think I, think I can be really confident to say the situation here in Lake County and the situation in France is not as hard as it was in a city like Philippi in Greece in about 60 A.D., and did you, see, did you hear what the Apostle Paul said at the end there? He said, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, verse 14, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You shine as lights in the world. That description implies an amazing confidence, doesn't it? You shine like light. See, there's a few kids in here. Kids, when you go into your bedroom at night and assuming the power works and you flip on the light switch, is there sort of a moment of stress like, oh, what's going to win out? Is the light going to overcome the darkness? Or is, this, is there a rivalry between the light and the dark? I, it's stressful. Is this going to work? It's like a... You know, like before a Bears and Packers game and you're stressed. Who's going to win? Especially if you're a Packers fan. <laughs> uh, no. No, you don't worry at all. Because light against darkness is not, not an equal, even, who knows who's going to come out ahead kind of conflict. I got into trail running when I was, when I've been living out there and you know, the idea you have to carry your light with you, so you try to find the smallest, lightest, tiniest light. So they, they make these tiny lights, and they're so bright. And at night, you can see like a rope of light going up the side of the mountain, lighting up an entire, entire trail, reminding you how far you have to still go and how many people are ahead of you. But... 
This, this is confidence. And I think this passage, Paul wants to us how to have that. And it's interesting, he starts the passage, he knows the church is struggling, there's, there's pressures, there's, there's difficulties, and he says, only, chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, what's interesting about Philippi was that it was a Roman colony, which meant that certain people had Roman citizenship. Now, I don't know how much you think about your American citizenship. I live on the border between two countries, France and Switzerland. And so some people have Swiss citizenship, some people have French citizenship, and it's sort of interesting. There's a French way of doing things, and there's a Swiss way of doing things, and it's sort of in the air. Is it Swiss or French? It probably was a similar way here in Philippi. Roman citizenship was really good to have, really cool to have, and others maybe had non-Roman citizenship. And Paul says, above all, let your manner of life, and that word manner of life is the word to act as a citizen. So Paul says, what I care most about is not the external challenges you have, but you, y'all, together, are you living as citizens is your deep identity, is, your, is the way you do life connected to your citizenship? Well, what citizenship? Um, what citizenship? You'll see it right there. Worthy of the good news, the gospel of Christ. And for Paul, that, that was the main issue. Together, are you living out as your identity, your citizenship as connected to the good news? Of Jesus. And so what I want to do today, I thought, let's, let's just think about being citizens, being citizens of the good news so that we shine as light. I want to look at two things. I want to look, think about why it's unnatural to be good news citizens, live out our real citizenship, and then how, how do we live out our citizenship? So why it's, why it's unnatural to be uh, good news citizens. Now, if we know the context of Philippi, they were going through various challenges. Epaphroditus, one of their members, had gotten really sick, so there was health issues that were kind of stressing people out. There was financial hardship. They wanted to help Paul, but things were a little tight at home. Uh, There was opposition from the culture, and Paul says not to be threatened or scared by that, because when you get pushback, it can, can be scary. It can be fearful. Then look at verse 29. Paul says, well, it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. He just uses a general word. He says, well, uh, you've been given this opportunity to go through stressful conflicts as a gift from God. God intentionally puts his people into stressful situations of conflict, of other issues, and, and that can be discouraging and scary, can't it? But after all, where do you need light? When you use your flashlights to find your car this morning, I hope you didn't come here that early. And actually, I don't think you did. I was here. Um, but where, where do you need it in the dark? You need light in the dark. Or can you, can you imagine a, a group of people that they're going to a lighthouse, going to serve as a lighthouse crew team? but they all think they're going to a beach house for vacation. They show up at the lighthouse, they're like, this is an odd form for a beach house, round, like this isn't very practical. 
And hey, the beach here is really rocky. What's up with this? Whose bright idea was to put a beach house on a rocky beach? And it's, there's a lot of wind here. And sometimes there's storms. Like, who, whose bright idea to go on a vacation here? There's other beaches. We're, this is no good. <laughs> but you're not, maybe you're not at a beach house. Maybe you're at a lighthouse with a purpose. And, and where do you need lighthouses? Where there's storms. Where there's rocks. Where, where you can serve to help and to protect. And uh, uh, Paul says, look, you're, you're going through hardships and it's God's gift to you. And, and what you need to do at that point is live as a citizen, a good news citizen. It's, it's not natural. It's not natural to find yourself in a lighthouse situation, but God puts us there. Now, I'm, like mentioned, I'm the dean of students for the first-year program at this Bible school. And it's very interesting. It's sort of, um, I'm like a pastor of an intense church that has a life cycle of 11 months, and then it starts all over again. I've done this for three years, and I'm starting to get there's a certain pattern to intense Christian community life. I even grafted out. The students come in September, and they're excited. We're going to do this, take a year off. This is going to be great, brothers and sisters together. And then there's some initial discouragement. They're like, oh, man, the administration let some sinners into this place. This is, this is going to be more complicated than I thought. But we know what we're doing. We're going to come through this. They, they, you know, they rally, and they say, hey, we know how to do this. We're going to forgive. We're going to talk it out. Okay, great. And they get back on. And then January comes. In January in Geneva, there's, the weather is bad. There's a lot of fog, and uh, they've just come back from vacation, and they've got the entire spring semester ahead of them, and often there is a new level of discouragement, and what people are really like starts coming out. And at that point, I've noticed, in community together, they've got a choice. Are we going to live as good news citizens? Are we going to find our deepest identity in, in the gospel and the life that that calls us to, or are we going to choose something else? And um, we went through that this year. It was kind of a hard time for the student body together, and I was going through a hard time in my own life, and I was reading this passage. I was reading this passage, and something jumped out to me. I saw these words that we all know well, I think. Encouragement in Christ, comfort, sharing. And I started thinking, who needs these things? I started thinking about their opposites. What's the opposite of encouragement? Right? Discouragement. Discouragement, being down, losing our courage. Or comfort. What's the opposite of comfort? Who needs comforted? Those who are hurt. Those who feel maybe vulnerable. And what about sharing? Where, where do we need sharing and, and togetherness? Well, those who are starting to be divided, where there's disunity and a sense of self-protection, a sense of isolation. How about affection, Is it, where there's dislike and sadness and a critical spirit and that sense of sympathy, that warm sympathy and affection for others, where misunderstanding sets in and a critical spirit. I mean, I see there's a negative community spiral. Because these things play off one another. We get discouraged. There's maybe opposition to seeing the gospel go forward, and we're kind of, ugh. And then 
someone says something and we're, we're more prone, we're more vulnerable to getting hurt or offended. And then there's, what does that create? Well, that creates distance. They hurt me. They offended me. And I, I don't want to hang out with them anymore. And uh, I want to sit at another lunch table because I, they're, they're, I decided I don't really like them very much. And that produces more and more misunderstanding and critical spirit. At the end, Paul says, you know, do nothing by, for selfish ambition or empty conceit. And I saw, you know, I don't think any Christian wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to be full of selfish ambition and empty conceit. I'm just, it's the project for the day. But there's a certain logic to this spiral that can justify deep down selfish ambition and empty conceit. Nothing like being hurt, being discouraged, being a breeding sense of misunderstanding will fuel and get us to rationalize. For the person who's down at the bottom of the cycle, it's very logical. It's very logical. Their selfish ambition and empty conceit is very logical. And I think that's why Paul's going to fight back. He's going to say, have this mindset. He's going to go where the problem, where the root of the problem is. And I think it's, it's, this, is a, this is natural. Human life together, it's natural to fall into this kind of cycle. And I, I wonder for you, you know, different things discourage different people. I wonder what is for you where you are vulnerable to feeling discouraged, to being divided, to being misunderstood and and feeling misunderstood by others. There's all kinds of things, and if God is calling us to shine as lights, if God is calling us to pull together for the unity of the gospel, I guarantee there's going to be these kinds of winds and waves. God is calling us to be a lighthouse. We're going to go through this. And um, they're, they're... in some ways, the pressure that pushes us there are, after all, God's, God's work. God's in the middle of this. And, um, and so how? How do we live as citizens? How do we turn it around? And well, Just a very simple, probably a very simplistic uh, picture. Let's think of a car. Think about the engine, uh, the conduct, or the driving. What do we actually do moment by moment? And then the destination as we think about living as good news citizens. So what, what is the engine? What's driving this? And it's there in chapter 2, the very beginning. You see that? It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict uh, you saw I had, and now here I still have. So. Things are hard. So. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love. Now, it's interesting, in, in the Greek, the if is before every word there. If any encouragement, if any comfort. People have wondered, why if? Ever wanted that reading this passage? If? Well, there is, isn't there? And Paul knows there is. And, and they point out, the commentators, that it's rhetorical. Like a couple, a married couple might say, honey, if you love me, would you do this? They know, I hope they know, that they love each other. They made this commitment. But could you help me experience again the reality I know to be true? I think Paul's saying, if, you know this is true, but if for you, you're experiencing this, you're tasting, you're you're connected, if there's encouragement in Christ. Christ is our Lord. He's our Savior. Amen. He's also our encourager. 
Does Jesus encourage you at that point where you often are vulnerable to discouragement? And that's why I think in our culture, sometimes when we think about encouragement, it's often centered on us. Not always bad. You're good. You're doing okay. You're special. You're, you're cool. You're going to be okay. Typically, Christ, the way he's encourages us, encourages us to look to him, right? And by looking to him, he does encourage us. The one who is weary and tired and just feels loaded, Christ says, come to me and I will give you rest. The one who feels dry, Jesus says, I am the fountain of living water. I give, I will refresh one who says, feeling your mortality, feeling fragile in this world, just scared about the end of life. Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who feel guilty, Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant poured out for sins, for the forgiveness of sins. Come to me. Those who feel just sort of aimless and misguided and feel just caught up in tons of details, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I am the true king. Obey me. Follow me. I will give you a vision and a mission for your life. But in all that, Jesus, his goal is encouraging his people. I mean, Jesus loves to encourage his people. And so often the issues in our relationships or the issues, the conflicts outside the church, are, are, that's not the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem is are we tasting, are we are we being encouraged by Christ? Are we guarding that relationship with him? Is there, is there, if there, any encouragement for you in Christ? Any comfort from love? Love, it is comforting to know we are deeply loved, isn't it? And yet how hard for us to really grapple that we, Christ, he's forgiven our sins. He's forgiven your sins, past and present and right now, here in this moment. He loves you. He loves me. He's full of warm love, and sometimes just uh, enjoying and basking in that is the challenge of our life. Any participation in the Spirit? It's funny, the students say, oh, it's hard to live together. We're always together. It's, sometimes it's challenging, and I want to say, yeah, you know, the Spirit dwells with each of you in each of you. Have you ever thought of his patience and what he puts up with day after day living in you? And he shares, and he's full of life, and he's with us, and he's with the person that you're maybe having a little tension with. He puts up with them day by day, moment by moment. Is, is there sharing? Or do, you, do you taste this privilege of sharing with the Spirit affection and sympathy? I think here's the encouragement is to see the challenges, not just as opposition and conflict, but as opportunities God is inviting us into a deeper experience of him and his life. The difficulties and the stress are inviting us to taste more deeply in him. And this is the engine. When there's conflict, students say, we've got, we got to redo things. We've got to, you know, we need more of this and that. And part of me says, well, yeah, okay, we could work on this, those things. But are, are we tasting? Am I tasting? Am I, am I coming back to what I have? There's any affection and encouragement in Christ, affection in his love. And I think I've said this as a pastor here, and I say it at the church, I say it at the school, look, Bible school without Jesus is not very fun. <laughs> Just like church. Church without Jesus is not very fun. There's a lot of other cool community groups you can be a part of, right? 
running groups and beer brewing groups and knitting groups, and that's fun. But church, church groups, okay, why not? Why doesn't get together? But when, when Jesus is there, when Jesus is here, when we're tasting together encouragement and love and sharing in the Spirit, oh, it's glorious. So, that's the engine. Are we tasting what we have in Christ? What about the conduct? And how do we do? How do we do this together? And uh, how do we live as citizens? citizens? I think you know these verses probably pretty well. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. Do nothing by selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Simple to read, harder to do. Uh, And the word look, look to the interest of others, is a word that that has a rich sense, kind of to contemplate or to consider, because it's not immediately always obvious. Think about what is best for the people around me. What is really their interest in this situation? But it's very helpful that Jesus is the ultimate example of this. He's right at the center of this passage. Um, and Jesus, the fact that he's, he, he kind of, I think, his example protects us from maybe two related uh, misunderstandings. I think sometimes people think, uh, if I'm going to live and consider the interests of others, that means that I've, I've, the way people see my Christian life, I've always got to feel that people accept and are impressed with my own Christian life. I'm thinking about their interest, and so what they think of me is really important. Now, was that true of Jesus? Was Jesus really concerned what everyone else thought of his Christian walk? No. I mean, I think he, he was sensitive maybe, but he was, he was full of the Father's love. He was doing his thing, and what everyone around him thought of his walk with the Lord was not his main concern. He, and interesting that thinking about the interest of others is often will often look like I'm not totally sensitive to what everyone thinks of me and my walk and my, the way I'm, I'm walking with the Lord because that's not in their interest. Or on the other hand, um, feeling like, okay, I need to be living for the interest of others. I need to make everyone around me happy. Now, did Jesus do that? Dude, was Jesus really worried about making everyone around him moment by moment just happy? No. No, Jesus had the courage sometimes to say hard things and to say it with compassion and to say it in view of the long haul. And sometimes, sometimes he, he, he loved, I think, seeing his disciples happy and filled with joy, but that, that wasn't what he was always aiming at. He, he was thinking about what was their fundamental best interest. And this, this is a challenge in uh, community, but it's, uh, it's an exciting challenge. To think, okay, okay, in situations that are hard, as we're going through different ups and downs, how do I really think about what is best for those around me? Well, what I noticed is when, you, when this gets going, when the engine and the conduct starts happening, we get on an upward spiral. Because there's people begin to be touched and filled with a real encouragement in Christ. Comfort and affection and sympathy. And our lives are marked more and more by that. And that produces humility. We don't have to keep trying to fill our life with an empty conceit and selfish ambition because we're full already. We know we're loved. We know we're encouraged by Christ himself. 
And that has the power to really bring humility and to think, okay, we can, we can work together. There can be unity. We can have the same mind. Not like robots, but like people who might have some differences, but we're unified because we're living in humility. And then there we, we can look out for the interests of others. We can think a lot broader than just our own lives and our own needs, but we can look for others. And what does that produce at the end? What does Paul say? He says, make my joy complete. Have you tasted that in community? As this car starts to run well on all four cylinders, and there's a joy, isn't there? As a humility coming together, and that's one privilege I have at the school, of seeing students and their humility and serving one another, and wow, there is a joy uh, beyond uh, something that just happens naturally. A year ago, we had a big Easter conference for young people between the ages of 15 and 25, and um, we had one, one girl come, and afterwards she shared her testimony, and it was really powerful. She, uh, she's a young girl in the area, and um, she came just for the Sunday. And beforehand, as she, she was telling her testimony afterwards, but she said, before the conference, nothing exciting happened in my life. My life was nothing except sleeping, eating, and working. And I was saying, is there anything more to this? And she was getting discouraged. She was considering maybe suicide. She said, I just, there's no more hardly a reason to live. And her uncle invited her to this Easter conference at the school. She said, well, I was expecting a two-hour mass with the average age over 85. And so she came, and she said, the thing that struck her, I saw an immense and indescribable love, a joy to be alive dominated the whole place. I think just by the grace of God, this was happening, this spiral, this upward spiral of of joy and humility. And here are these young people, and for her, instead of being marked by selfish ambition and empty conceit, just sleep, work, try to move ahead, she saw a, a joy and a love that was beyond that. And it touched her, and that afternoon she prayed to receive Christ, and now she's in the church a few kilometers from the school and being discipled, and she shared her testimony this Easter in front of the church a couple weeks ago, and they said there was a hardly a, a dry eye in the place, such a powerful testimony of God working. See, she saw light. She saw citizenship, and it was powerful, and uh, it is. But maybe the, the last thing is to think about our destination. It's a, a, a very important part of this passage. Paul says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. A little bit of debate about this verse. Is Paul just saying Jesus is the supreme example? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Here's what Jesus did, be like Jesus. And that element is present. But the way Paul uses and describes, you see that? This is a good translation. Which have this mind among yourselves, which is already yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think he's saying, think based on what you already are, what you're connected to already in Jesus Christ. And then he tells the Jesus story. Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. He was not marked himself by selfish ambition. He made himself nothing. I think the key point of this next uh, few verses is the beginning of verse 9. He being made in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's the next word? Therefore. 
Therefore, God highly exalted him. What Paul is saying is, remember kind of the economy of the life of Jesus. Jesus had it all. He gave it up. He took on the form of a servant. He went to the cross. And God looked down at that and said, I'm honoring that. And he raised him and he seated him. And Jesus has the name above every name. And every knee will bow. That is astonishing. God loves to exalt nothingness when it's done for him. And that, that's our story because we're connected to Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? I like that I have a, a roller coaster. Maybe I've already told this, but remember as a kid getting on a roller coaster and being like in one of the back cars and you see the front car and you know you're going up, going tick, 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 up the thing and you see the front car's already going over. Or if it's a long car, you see the front car starting to do the spiral and everyone's screaming, you know, ah, and you're like, oh, shoot, that's going to be me in about 2.5 seconds because I'm locked into this thing. I'm connected. I'm in the back and I, I see where this is going and I, I'm all connected to this and ugh, I'm going to be doing that up, upside down spiral thing in just a second. And I mean, that's what it means to be in Christ. We're in the back of the car. He's the front of the car. His story has become our story. He went down, and it wasn't easy. Right? When Jesus made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, and at the key moment, he was asking his father, Dad, is there any way else to do this in the garden? It wasn't fun to go to the cross. <laughs> Could we find another way? I mean, the greatest act of love that Jesus did, he didn't want to do. But he said, your will, not mine, and he went down and what did God do? He honored it. He, he raised him up. He gave him a name. He gave him identity. He gave him glory. And what Paul's saying is, look, you guys are connected to the same story. Remember that, because God's going to call us to somebody to go down to, as it were, make ourselves nothing, to lay aside the selfish ambition, to lay aside the empty conceit, to start thinking about others, really, and their interest. It's hard. But God loves, when it's done for Christ's sake, connected to Christ, he loves to honor that. Humility is not just a cool virtue. Humility is the way to epic happiness, epic identity. Isn't he? He gave him a name. Jesus already had a name, but his name now went public. And God wants to give you and I this epic happiness, this epic identity. You want to find yourself... Maybe it means going down like Christ and considering others and laying down and feeling like I'm making myself nothing here. And God loves, God, your father is looking down and says, I love, that's the, that's the curve of the roller coaster. And I love bringing my children up and crowning them and celebrating them because they're acting like my son. You say, well, how do I have confidence this is true? Well, back to Christ, right? He, here he is. Here we can see his story. He, a simple carpenter from Nazareth and taken on the form of a servant and now raised from the dead, seated on the right hand of the Father and reigning. He is our confidence. Like Paul elsewhere says, right, we are right now seated with him. It's so sure. The train car, the, the roller coaster car is so 
solid. The car has never come apart that we can consider ourselves already seated with him in heavenly places, which gives great confidence when God's calling us to go down. They make ourselves feel like we're making ourselves nothing um, to be unified as gospel citizens. You know, the, the, um, there are a lot of people in France that think of Christian things like, like a museum. And I think if you go into a cathedral and just a cross posted on a wall or just objects, that's not what God ever intended to impress people and to bring them into real life. What he intended was his people living together. It's not a cross on a wall that's shining like lights. It's not big cathedrals or building. It's when people living together in community in this kind of way, as good news citizens, then we can shine uh, as lights. Marianne was expecting a museum. She came to that youth conference expecting a museum, expecting to be interested for maybe 10 seconds, hearing a mass and seeing a bunch of older people. And what did she find? She found light, young people, and there were some older people there too, shining uh, like light. And it was powerful. And I just want to encourage us, it is powerful. Living this way is powerful. True humility is powerful. Living together as citizens of good news. And that's the call. The, the typical American culture, we're realizing, oh, we thought living as citizens of the United States of America was good news. But now, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's funny being in Europe when Trump is the president. It's like, it's not quite as cool to be an American anymore, right? <laughs> They're like, David, could you explain how that happened? And I'm like, no, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. And here, what a chance. Maybe it's getting darker. And maybe that's exactly what God wants so his people shine as good news citizens. Light is powerful. And what we have together is powerful. It's powerful in France. It's powerful in Switzerland. It's powerful in Lake County. So shine like lights in the world. Let me pray. Father, we know it's your kindness that often leads us to repentance. And uh, would you be here? Would you speak in your tender love? And if there's places where we need to repent, to turn back to you, to, to turn from being encouraged and comfort by lesser things, and to find comfort and encouragement in you, our Father, in Christ, our Savior, would you help us do that? Even right now as we sing in worship. I know, Father, would you help us shine? Would you help me shine? Would you help the students at the Bible school shine? Would you help here in Trinity Community Church and all over Lake County that gospel communities would shine for the glory of your Son? In his name we pray. Amen. Yeah.